All right, welcome to a Cubs pod to be named later. That's right, everyone. This is episode four. I don't know if I'm numbering the episodes. That seems a little bit weird, but this is the fourth podcast I'm going to do. The last one I did was previewing the Cubs versus Marlins wild card playoff round. And um, as we all know, it did not turn out the way us Cubs fans wanted. But I digress. We will get into that and recap the entire 2020 season. Look back at some highs and some lows and look to the future. We'll do that. But first, if you're checking out this podcast for the very first time, this podcast is tentatively called a Cubs pod to be named later, meaning I did not uh, have a, a definitive name that I wanted. So I figured I'd just, you know, do a little play on my baseball lingo, you know, a trade to be named, a player to be named later in a trade is a very common thing. So I decided to call it a Cubs podcast to be named later, Cubs pod to be named later for short. Uh, I am Joe Kilgallen. I'm a stand up comedian from the great city of Chicago. Born and raised in this city, Chicago public school boy in grade school, a Catholic school boy come high school. I haven't attended one of the fine city colleges in this here great city of ours. And um, I'm an insane Cubs fan, like a lot of you are. So I figured, why not do a podcast where we could uh, we could talk about our beloved Cubbies, right? But I'm going to try to do it different because there's so many great Cubs podcasts out there. Shout out to everyone out there who are doing podcasts, blogs, videos, previews, recaps. All that good stuff. Just hanging out with your friends, text threads. Baseball's a great game, and I'm a big fan of anybody who celebrates it. I, of course, endorse a more positive fan base because I believe you got to love your team. So you'll you'll definitely check out that thread if you're checking out this podcast for the first time. You'll pick up on that. You'll pick up on how I like to I like to be one of those fans that's like, let's fucking do this. Let's let's believe. Damn it, that's the kind of uh, fan I like to be. All right, but before we get into Cub stuff. As a diehard baseball fan, like a lot of you are, we have to address the late, great Bob Gibson. It was announced just over the weekend that legendary Hall of Fame pitcher, one of the greatest pitchers of all time, Bob Gibson, passed away at the age of 84. Rest in peace, rest in power, one of the greats. And uh, even as a St. Louis Cardinal, all of our fathers, I'm imagining your dads are all in your 60s too. Maybe not. Maybe they're older, maybe they're younger. They all were like, hey, we don't like the Cardinals, but damn it, we got to respect Bob Gibson. And how can you not? What an amazing, dude, what a colorful, like every interview I've ever seen with Bob Gibson, he always gave you one of those quotes where you're like, I cannot wait to share this with one of my friends. I just love uh, colorful personalities like that. Guys that just a lot of character and old school. That word gets thrown around a lot, but the way I think about it and the way I look at Bob Gibson and his playing style, his pitching style rather, People nowadays call that old school, but at the time, I don't know if that was old school. I mean, maybe there was always this toughness about baseball back in the day, but to me, it looked cool. It kind of looked cool to just have this, like, don't even talk to me. You smile at me. I'm coming inside on you. How dare you smile? Why are you smiling at me? This is funny. I think we're playing a game. It's funny because we are playing a game, but like, don't get me wrong. I'm all about bad flips. I love that too, but there is still a part of me that kind of likes that. That guy that's like, I'm on the mound. I own this game. That's how we're going to play it. And just all the stories from people being like, telling rookies, are you out of your mind? You you don't run too fast when you hit a home run off of Bob Gibson. You don't run too slow. You keep your head down. Like he's this T-Rex. Like don't move around too much. Respect his space. That kind of thing. And there, I, I, am, I implore all of you to go YouTube videoing Bob Gibson. Not just the highlights, because the highlights are like, yes. But also some great interview stories. Pete Rose told one about when he was like a rookie. Bob Gibson hit a double. So Bob Gibson's on second base. 
And Pete Rose is like, hey, Gibby, what would you hit there? Was that a fastball? I got to you know, really smoke that pitch. Just nothing. Bob Gibson doesn't even look at him, doesn't respond. He's like, yeah, hey, Bob, you know, tried to really get his attention. Just nothing. Bob Gibson goes back, to, not Bob Gibson. Pete Rose goes back to his dugout, says to his manager, yo, Skip, is that Bob Gibson like some sort of deaf mute? How come he didn't respond to a single thing I said? And he goes, Bob Gibson does not speak to the opposition. Like, how dare you? Are you out of your mind? Next day, they're warming up before the game. Bob Gibson walks by and goes, yo, Rook, it was a slider and just keeps going. I love that. I like the idea of just like, just kept walking. I don't need to entertain your curiosities anymore. I gave you a little something. It's a slider. I smoked it into the gap. And Gibson was notorious. He was a great hitting pitcher. Great. There'd be times where literally the Cardinals would win one nothing, and Bob Gibson hit a solo home run. That was the game. Nowadays, people refer to that like as a high school type of game where the best player, the best hitter is also the pitcher. You don't see that at the major league level, but you know, every town, every neighborhood, there's like a that one high school kid who will go three for four with a couple home runs, also pitch all seven, strike out 12, and then take your girl home. Damn. That that I don't I never met that guy because I was pretty awesome myself, but tip of the hat sometimes, right? Tip of the hat. But yeah, one of my favorite Bob Gibson stories, though, and I didn't I didn't need his death to revisit this, luckily, because I remember watching it live as it happened or as it aired. I don't think it was live. Bob Costas had a show on HBO. It was like a panel where they're talking to all these baseball greats. I believe it was like Bob Gibson. Pete Rose might have been a part of it. Nah, maybe not. Reggie Jackson was there and a few other guys. And this was right around the time Barry Bonds was chasing 700, I want to say. I don't think he was quite going for Aaron's record, but he was he was in the 600s. And they asked Bob Gibson, they said, Bob, how would you face a guy like Barry Bonds? What would you do? What would be your plan of attack? And Bob Gibson, with very little hesitation, if even not even a split second, was like fastballs inside. And Bob Costas was so quick to correct him going, but that's that's where that's Barry Bonds loves it. Barry Bonds loves fastballs inside. And without hesitation, again, Gibson says, yeah, well, I like ice cream, but I want a gallon of it. And I just love the, the cockiness and the confidence. It's really confidence if it's too cocky, right? People hear the word cocky and they think, oh, arrogant prick maybe. No, this is just a straight up, like, I know I'm, I know I'm the man. That plain and simple. I know I'm the best. And then some, and then someone's like, yeah, if you hit him, you hit him. I can't remember who it was. They go, well, he wears all that armor and he snapped back. I'll break that armor just real quick. Like I'll break it. Guy threw about a hundred miles an hour, nasty curveball, and just, just a force of nature on the mound in 1968. I'm sure if you're a baseball fan at all, you've heard of the great 1968 season. He had a 1.12 ERA. He was so good. The very next season, they lowered the mound think about that think about how good you must be at your job where they altered the rules because of your performance now obviously it wasn't just him the pitching in the mid to late 60s was dominant there was guys like sandy koufax although he was done by 66 don drysdale juan marischal of course whitey ford i mean there's a lot of legendary pitchers from that era but Bob Gibson was the catalyst in that 1968 season of a 1.12 ERA. And this isn't like small sample size. This was over 300 innings. And I think my favorite statistic that I only heard on the radio the other day, I believe it was Matt Spiegel on 670 score. Shout out to Matt Spiegel. Spiegs, great sports guy, great baseball guy, great musician. 
he mentioned that in that season, I believe he started 38 games. Now, if I'm, I'm off, I'm going to be off by like one game started here or there. 38 games he started, completed 31 of them. I mean, you do realize over the last five to 10 years, if you get two complete games, you're among the league leaders, if not the league leader, two or three, typically. He was completing over 30. And then in the other seven starts, he was taken out for a pinch hitter. That means in the entire 1968 season, not one time did the manager walk out to the mound and said, all right, Bob, you got to give me the ball. Hell of an outing. You gave it your all. We're going to bring it over to the bullpen. Not one time during an entire season did the manager say, I need this baseball from you. That is remarkable and something that will never happen again. That's an interesting thing. And I think during the offseason, now that sadly our offseason has begun as Cubs fans. And I think I used to have a baseball podcast called Comedians Talking Baseball. That was about baseball in general. This one, of course, would be focused on the Cubs. But, you know, I will talk about a Bob Gibson passing away. How do I ignore that? But I'm, I would love to talk about how pitching is very fascinating because I think it's the one area across all professional sports that really has regressed. But it's been regressing for a very long time. A lot of people want to just say 50s and 60s. But I remember reading a statistic. Sorry, everyone. When it gets later, I, I stutter a little bit. I was reading a stat that said in like 1960, the average starter to finish a game was like, I think like 54% of all games were complete games. Now it's like 1% if that. I think it's below that. But in 1901 or 1900, it was something like 95%. So it's been going down for a hundred plus years. You know, our father's generations like to make it seem like, oh, pitchers today. But then their grandfathers or great-grandfathers could say, oh, you kids today. It's always, that's why I hate that generational stuff. Comparing eras overall is kind of a, just a dumb thing. I just got to, you look at how dominant a person was for their era. And if they're really dominant, they'd probably be pretty good in any era, if not great in any era, because greatness adjusts, greatness adapts. Like I was looking at some of the Bob Gibson, over 3,000 strikeouts. That's a big number. You know, he had seasons where I think he led the league in strikeouts the one year with like 265. And he himself pitched 300 innings. So that's less than a strikeout per inning, which by today's standards isn't very good. But you forget back then they weren't going up there looking for walks. They were swinging early, swinging at the first, second pitch constantly. There wasn't this grinding out mentality. There wasn't, I mean, there were guys who walked a lot. You know, you're your, your Ted Williams. Of course, that guy didn't, if the pitch was a hair outside his zone, he was like, nope, not swinging, which a lot of, at the time, he got criticized for in the baseball media for saying, you know, if you just expanded your zone a little bit, you could have driven that ball down the right field line. We could have gotten two more runs instead of you standing in first base, like stuff like that. So it's just different for different eras. Um, again, that's something I'd like to visit with you guys, revisit with you guys, is stuff like that, digging into those stats. And then it'd be kind of fun. So RIP to Bob Gibson, though. Definitely check out. There's some really good stuff on YouTube. The guy was a Harlem Globetrotter. Did I mention that? He played for the Harlem Globetrotters. How incredible is that? Chicago tied to that, by the way. Harlem Globetrotters was founded by a man from Chicago, Illinois. So I think they were founded in Chicago, actually. I think they threw Harlem on there for some reason. I'm not really sure. I don't know. I'd have to dig deeper into that. All right. Um, again, I want to thank everyone. It's been, again, this is episode four of the podcast. I don't know how many of these I'm going to do a week, probably a couple, at least one or two a week. I want to say 
I really enjoy talking Cubs, and I'm sad that we didn't get a full 162. And this is going to be a huge, huge offseason. This is probably the Cubs' biggest offseason since they hired Theo Epstein. Now, as we all know, as I imagine a lot of you know, there's a lot of talk about Theo Epstein's future with the Cubs. And um, yeah, I, I'll get into some of that. Maybe I'll say that for the end or I'll do a whole nother episode about it um, after he meets with uh, Cubs owner Tom Ricketts, which should be, if you're listening to this Monday morning, it could be today. It could be some sometime this week. It was announced Saturday. Dave Kaplan tweeted, and the article was on NBCChicago.com, that Theo Epstein and Cubs chairman Tom Ricketts were going to meet to discuss uh, the future and what's most likely sounds like a transition to the next president of baseball operations. A lot of people believe that will be Judd Hoyer will just get promoted. The talk is, does Theo leave now or does he stick around this upcoming season to kind of, uh, you know, train the next person, which I, I don't, I don't know. It's not like, you know, getting a bartender ready for the next shift, is it? So I don't, I don't really know. Obviously, the, you always want Theo Epstein around your ball club, and I'll, I'll probably dedicate a whole podcast once we know for sure. I'm sure I'll dedicate a whole podcast to the greatness that is Theo Epstein. He is the goat of modern the last 30 years or so. I got, I got to dig deeper to other baseball executives throughout history, but definitely in my lifetime, you know, he is the last 30, 35 years the greatest baseball executive general manager, president, whatever you want to call him. I think he is the goat. Um, so much better than people even give him credit for. I'll save that for an episode. I'll save that for a whole episode, a really dig deep. And I was a fan long before he joined the Cubs. And I remember the day it was announced that he was going to be the Cubs' next uh, president of baseball operations. I was floored. It was Christmas morning because I had read a book called Mind Game that came out in 2006. And it was about the 2004 Boston Red Sox and the construction of that team. And just, wow, what a, just a sharp, sharp human being. He's one of those guys that, and this is why I think a lot of people might not like him. He's one of those guys that uh, is the smartest person in every room he walks in. And so I think some people just kind of like, they hear how smart a person is instead of being like, wow, cool, must be a pretty bright guy. They immediately get a little insecure about their own intelligence and they look for any mistake or slip up to be like, ooh, Ooh, genius now? Is he genius now? Huh? That move didn't work out, did it? And again, no, no president of baseball operations, no general manager is perfect. These We're still dealing with human beings, right? You can't predict this stuff. Like I used to play in a fantasy football league. I retired before this season. My last two years playing fantasy football, everyone, champion. I retired a back-to-back -back champion. I have my reasons for not playing this year. I'm not saying I won't go back to fantasy football part of me doesn't miss it at all i was actually thinking it's really nice to just have to watch the bears game and not have to worry about all this other stuff and not have like a part-time job but i've had people say man you're lucky you won two years in a row i'm like lucky lucky had nothing to do with it did i get lucky that certain players didn't get injured yes of course did i get lucky that a certain athlete didn't turn out to be a huge piece of shit you know turns out he was beating his wife and was just an asshole a guy who was like the a top three prospect in all of baseball who you thought, holy shit, this guy's going to be an MVP one day. I'm talking about Addison Russell. See, there's, there's bad, there's unforeseen circumstances in all of this stuff. But the smart minds and the people who are really, really good are usually going to be there. They're going to be near the top. There's going to be seasons here or there. There's going to be moves here or there. And I think that's why I kind of, I'm going to, 
pivot from that because I think it's a nice segue into the 2020 season and really what's gone on. I'm going to talk about the 2020 season and I'm going to talk about this era of Cubs baseball because a lot of people are closing the door and saying the era is over and all that kind of stuff. And the era will be over in a sense because there'll be a couple pieces probably that won't be back. But I don't think the era of winning is over, or at least I damn sure know it doesn't have to be over. The idea that it's, you know, there are some people who are like, blow it all up. Blow it all up. You've been hurt too much in the past. You have. You've been hurt too much in the past. And also, you've been spoiled. The same people say blow it all up are the ones who don't appreciate Theo Epstein. And you just think rebuilds work. Where were you? Where have you been? Are you new to baseball? Did you start watching in the second half of 2015 when the news was talking about Jake Arrieta and the Cubs had this blue-eyed third baseman hitting bombs and Anthony Rizzo on these fun commercials? Is that when you joined in? Because rebuilding doesn't always work. Even teams that do a good job rebuilding don't end up with a ring. Look at the Detroit Tigers from like 05, 06 up to 2011, 2012. That was a well-built team that got to a couple World Series, didn't work out. Texas Rangers got to a couple, didn't work out. This happens a lot. You know, you get a team like the Giants who win every other year, and that worked out great. You get the Red Sox. You know, um, and it's it's just it's tough. There hasn't been a repeat winner. There hasn't been a back-to-back champ in baseball since the Yankees in 1999-2000. And even the Yankees from 2000 to now, despite operating with always a top three payroll, maybe 85% of the time the number one payroll, have only won one. Look at the Dodgers. And Andrew Friedman's great, by the way. A lot of people are like, no, Andrew Friedman's better than Theo now. Look, the last couple of years, Friedman's probably had a better couple of years, but also his ownership that's 100% fully supported. And again, I don't want to knock on the ownership of the Cubs because they were smart enough to hire Theo in the first place. I definitely think there was just some a strangeness about shutting down the spending after the 2018 season and then not doing anything in 2019 as well. I think there was some short-sightedness. I think the business side of things with the renovations, you know, there's reports that the renovations cost twice as much. That I don't get. So Crane Kenny, your math was bad enough or whatever happened. Maybe there were some city ordinances coming forward and you would have spent twice as much and your job's not at risk. But then they tell Theo on the baseball side of things, the baseball side of things, by the way, everyone, as we all know, very profitable, incredibly profitable among the top in all of baseball. I think they had the top operating cost, meaning they had the most like money after their expenditures for a couple of these past years. And we all know the tickets aren't cheap anymore. They're the highest ticket price in baseball. Even beer's not cheap anymore. But if there's a winning product on the field, it's like we justified as fans. We're like, it's, it's Wrigley. We love the Cubs. We love this team. All right. We'll pony up. But look, I think it's short-sighted because I think now that we have that ring, now that we've won a World Series, a lot of fans will be like, I'm not just going to throw blind money. If you guys aren't, you're not going to get a relievers that you need. You're not going to add to an offense. You're going to diversify the offense, get a high contact bat. You're not going to do these things, but you expect me to bring my family and spend $300, $400? No. That's what's going to happen. We saw it at the Cubs convention this year. It didn't sell out. The Cubs convention did not sell out for the first time in a long time. People were upset. You're launching a new network. There's just some things. I'm Look, I'm not a hater on Cubs ownership. 
And yeah, I know there's a big portion of Cubs Twitter that of the politics, and I don't agree with a lot of the politics too. I don't, I, you know, I'm very independent in a lot of ways. I'm center left. I call myself. Um, I don't know why I'm, I've gotten into politics, but like I, you know, there's a lot of stuff I'm not a fan of either. But you have to understand that they look. The Cubs were here before the Ricketts family, and they'll be here after the Ricketts family. And they also have an owner, Laura Ricketts, who's the first openly gay professional sports owner. I think that's a wonderful thing to be celebrated. And even though a couple of the brothers donate to the right on the right, she donates on the left. These things, these big like conglomerate families, these billionaires, they they vote for both sides. And a lot of them do lean strongly Republican. And if you're going to just root for teams based on who the owners are, you're going to root for nobody if that's where you line up politically. And that's just how that goes, you know? So I just, you try to, I'm not, I'll never say sports and politics don't mix. They, everything can mix with everything. I'm 100% support of players, announcers, managers, team owners, fans, everyone. Voice your opinions, use your voice. That's great. I support that 100%. I'm, I'm on I'm on that side. But I would say this, I wanted to give the Ricketts family some credit. They did spend money when the money was needed to be spent, but after to get the World Series, and I think the fear in a lot of fans' eyes or fear in a lot of fans' hearts is that now that they got their ring, are they going to slow it down? Are they happy with one and they just going to assume it's going to, they're going to coast. They're going to just think, I remember there was reports that Joe Ricketts, the, you know, the patriarch, Papa Ricketts, the owner of the, the father of the owners, because he has nothing to do with the baseball operations, everyone. They're his kids. So it's a little weird. What's that, that part bothered me. It's like the, the dad says something dumb and immediately everyone's like, Hey, he's the owner of the Cubs sort of thing. I'm like, no, the owner's father. You know, if my dad said a bunch of stupid stuff, would people be like, hey, don't go to his comedy shows? I'm like, what does that have to do with me? I don't, and that part, I just thought people were reaching for stories, you know, just an opinion. Uh, yeah, so the big fear in a lot of fans are, all right, we got that one, or is it everything going to shut down now? Because, yeah, I didn't even finish the point. Joe Ricketts said once, win or lose, the, the 40,000 every single day. And that's not true. Attendance did go down. Um, the 2011 Mike Quaddy Cubs. Attendance was down big time. I think there's definitely, there's more to compete with these days. And we don't know the future with COVID and all that. And so that's another thing I'll say for when I dive into off-season plans, which will probably be later this week, along with Theo. There's going to be a lot to talk about. So maybe I'll be, you're going to be hearing from me a lot. So I definitely hope you guys enjoyed this podcast. It's on Apple now, Spotify, Google. I think it's on pretty much every platform now that you could possibly listen to podcasts. 2020, weird, weird year, a weird season. Um, I know I got sidetracked there getting into some more Theo and ownership stuff and about how you could do the right thing and not get the right result all the time. You know, I was going to say Andrew Friedman, um, you know, he inherited a division champion and the Dodgers have had an infrastructure of developing players for the last 60 years. They're faint. They're notorious for just developing, being a developmental machine. So that's why it's kind of like, all right, they had a couple good drafts lately, maybe a little bit better than ours. And they're bringing up some people, but, giving Freeman a lot of credit for guys that he didn't even draft. He didn't draft Bellinger. He didn't draft Seager. Also, Mookie Betts, the big prize they traded for that they extended that mega deal. Do you know who drafted Mookie Betts, everyone? Theo Epstein in the fifth round in 2011 while he was still running Boston. So this idea that some people are, I know I'm going back to it. <laughs> people, the haters of Theo, it's like, listen, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. This guy, if, if he decides to, if he leaves, which it will break my heart, and it's, that's what it sounds like, but it is on his own. It's his choice. I'd be even more brokenhearted if the Cubs were like going to fire him or not do everything they can to retain him. That would be even, that'd be wildly disappointing. 
just that would crush me if it was like there was a big announcement from Cubs ownership going, we're moving on and we don't like the job he's done. And that would kill me. Because again, I talked about the baseball operations and overestimating a budget. The Cubs were sold for $900 million in 2009. They're estimating over $3 billion. How much of that is Theo Epstein? How much of that is him turning around this franchise, turning into a franchise that expects winning, getting that World Series? That's that's Theo. So that's why when people are like, well, they went over budget for a bit. I'm like, yeah, that's he's earned the right to do that. That's the way I view it. You quadruple a franchise's net worth. You've owned the, you've earned the right. Yep. You've earned the right to make a mistake here or there. That's how it happens. And again, that's what I was talking about with him being the smartest guy in the room. There's the people who they don't like hearing that about certain people. I was probably like that when I was younger. Everyone's like, so-and-so is a genius. I'm like, oh, really? I don't think they're that bright. Like you just, but then that's a you thing. Instead of just being like curious, be like, oh, cool. Let me, let's see. Let's see how smart, like, I'd like to learn more. Maybe I could learn from this person. That's, that's a society we should all be aiming towards. All right. 2020, we started off, obviously COVID. I don't need to get into that. We all know that part sucked. Going into the off season, in the off season, very little moves. The three moves of significance that were like guaranteed contracts. There was so many minor league deals on bullpen arms. Some of them worked out very well as the bullpen, the final month of the season, turned out to be a strength of this team. And it ended up being one of the best bullpens in all of baseball. Uh, I think it was like second in ERA in the month of September. Guaranteed contracts with Jeremy Jeffers. Give that an A+. Even though some of the peripherals were like, ah, over the course of a season, his that ERA would probably get way higher than one. I uh, had a lot of hard hit balls right at people, that type of thing. But I saw a guy getting out of jams and getting the big outs when he needed to, and he brought a swagger, and he seemed like a very fun teammate. So I was a big fan of the Jeremy Jeffers deal. Only made $800,000. You could get him back on a couple mil. I think I'd roll the dice on him again. But again, it all depends on what the budget is. That's another podcast. That's another episode where we really have to figure out what fun things we could do with this budget if we know what the budget is going to be, which who knows. The other moves were Jason Kipnis. I think Kipnis was very solid as like a platoon player for Nico, bench bats, some DH, some DHing he did. He also had, you know, some big hits, um, hit a couple home runs. I think he gelled really nicely with the Cubs. So, yes, I give that another, that's another A, right? Any, any signing that's a million dollars or $800,000 and you get even average production, I'm going to give that a good grade. Normally, average, you're like, that's a C. Now you got to look, there's another variable. You got to look at the costs. The costs were low and above average production. I'm not saying Kipnis was a world beater, but he was a solid player. He was a, he was an above average hitter at a million dollars. So yeah, I give that it's a very high graded uh, acquisition. The other one was um, Sousa. I didn't like him more in number 21, but Sousa, he um, it didn't work out for him. You know, he had early on. I remember having a game where he had a home run. He was very pumped up. It was his first one. He just got battled injuries. He came back. So it was a nice story there. And um, another low, I think that was a guaranteed million-dollar contract, so very low. This was a guy who hit 30 home runs a few years ago. So it was kind of like, let's roll the dice. Uh, Hayward, what, you know, in the past wasn't hitting lefties very well, so it's kind of like, obviously, hit that bomb up Josh Hader. We'll get to Hayward in a few seconds. So I understood the move, maybe a platoon option there. Let's see if he's got some life in his bat. Um, a weird season. Weird season, and then they cut ties with him, which I understood. It was You got to crunch the numbers, and – he once he got on the injured list there after after he got up to a decent enough start. I remember like, you know, he was kind of pinch hitting here or there. Then he had a game where he was like two for four at the home run. And then you're like, well, all right, let's see. 
so many small sample sizes in a 60 game season. Didn't have time to wait. That's why those acquisitions, which I'll jump ahead and then go back to the actual breaking down of the season of Jose Martinez and Cameron Mabin, you're like, those were kind of like buying scratch offs or buying two. And that's another thing. The trade for that was a Pedro Martinez, like infielder, like a second base prospect. He was the 15th prospect on baseball perspectives, but like 22nd on fan graphs. I tend to like fan graphs a little bit better. All these prospect rankings, by the way, can mean nothing. He can end up being great or he can end up being absolutely nothing. Typically, the 22nd ranked prospect in your own franchise, this isn't all of baseball, this is your own franchise, doesn't see the majors. That's just the truth of it. And if they do, they're like up and down player and all that kind of stuff. So I'm not too heartbroken over that. Jose Martinez, they have the rights for next year too. In his career, he's been a very, very good hitter against lefties. I understand the move. And it's kind of like, hey, it's a short season. We could grab both these guys. They're cheap. One works out, one doesn't. It's kind of like one of those things. We'll play a little juggling with the with the roster construction. But yeah, it's funny to me, though. All these people were like mad. I can't believe Theo get rid of this guy. And it's like, you guys didn't give a shit about prospects before Theo. It's And I love to see. I'm glad fans have gotten wiser. But it's amazing how they're like biting the hand that fed them this information. I see people say, you don't pay for past performance. That was a phrase no Cubs fan ever said before Theo Epstein came to town. He mentioned it in his open, one of his opening press conference, one of his first few interviews, where he's like, I'm not a big believer in paying for past performance. And that's why the Jason Hayward, when he became available, people were like, this is a free agent Theo Epstein goes after. This is the type of guy. And same with Bryce Harper. That's why we were so heavily rumored in the Bryce Harper rumors. And I really thought, I'm like, we're probably going to get Harper. I just, it made sense. Those were the type of acquisitions that Theo talked about. Free agents don't, stars don't hit free agency at the age of 26 anymore. Hayward was 26 coming off of a war, a year in which he was over a six war. He was like 11th in war in all of baseball that season. Wins above replacement. And that makes, that makes him arguably the 11th best player in baseball. We valued that. We offered him a deal. Eight years, 184 million. Turned out to be an overpay. I'll admit that, even though he was wonderful this year, gave him an amazing speech, one of the best speeches since JFK, FDR, MLK. What is it with great speeches being people with initials? Anyhow, one of the one of the greatest speeches of all time. Right up there with when before in Captain America and Endgame. You know, no spoilers. I know some people haven't gotten around to see it yet. So yeah, but was he is he worth 23, 24 million per or whatever it is? No. No, and I'm sure he says, I'm sure he'll tell you, honestly, yeah, I haven't lived up to my end, um, but a great teammate, a great human. So I'm not here to rip on Jason Hayward, but I'm just telling you why that contract made sense at the time. And the Cubs were like the third highest offer. I think the Cardinals and the Giants offered higher to retain him. And I think even the Red Sox were looking at him. So yeah, sometimes it's just, you can make the right move and sometimes it doesn't work out. That's how that plays out sometimes. But uh this year, the Cubs got off to that awesome 13-3 and start after making very little moves in the offseason. And David Ross was showing some stuff that were different from Joe Madden. Now, this isn't to hate on Joe Madden. Joe Madden has his strengths. I think he's wonderful at taking pressure off of his players, relaxing them a little bit, although the clutch hitting went away. But we'll get to that. It went away still, hasn't returned at all. It's been gone for few three three years now i'd say three seasons 2018 2019 2020 um but one of the things i didn't love about joe madden um 
is that I don't think he was very good at handling a bullpen. And I don't think, I think sometimes it's, it's good with the young teams and good at taking the pressure off and keeping that loose atmosphere. Great with that kind of thing. Where I think he lost his team was once those young players become a little bit more seasoned, they're kind of like, I want to know where I'm hitting today. You know, when I'm young and hungry and I'm just coming up, I'll do whatever it takes. I'm not saying they don't they don't stop doing whatever it takes, but you kind of get to a point where, you know, they after every year you're in the league, money becomes a bigger issue. And of course, money's gonna be an issue. I'm not saying it's the issue, but it's part of it. And you can't blame some of these athletes for that. Their careers could go away at any moment. At any moment, they could trip over first base when in full sprint, tear an Achilles, and that's that. They have to get their money in while they can. It's just the fact of it. Some fans might not want to hear that, but that's the truth. And so what I liked early from Ross is different from Madden. I mean, I think he kept a loose atmosphere. Was that he trusted Kyle Hendricks to throw a complete game on opening night. I don't think Madden does that. Madden, for some reason, didn't always trust Kyle, which I think was a mistake. Now you might say, well, Joe, what about the Marlins series where maybe Ross left him in a little too long? He could go either way on that one. You know, I mean, take him out of batter early. The two batters before hit the ball hard. But then he also used dominant his pitcher. Kyle's a tough one in that regard, too. You know, typical flamethrowers, you kind of get a sense where it's like, all right, the pitches are getting flatter. The fastball's lost a little bit of zip. All right. Hendricks is a finesse guy. At any given moment, he could get you that double playground ball. So, yeah, it was – and then with the new three-batter minimum with the righty-lefty thing, I get it. Jeffers ended up giving a two-run homer either. I'm not going to give uh, Ross too hard a time on that one, especially since the offense didn't do anything anyway. But I definitely like that Ross put more faith in Hendricks. Cal Hendricks led the National League in innings pitched. He went into the seventh inning more than any other pitcher, went into the eighth inning a lot of games, and looked just as strong the third time through the order. I like to see that. That's another thing. If Madden was managing game one, Hendricks would have been out in the fourth or fifth. So we're already arguing about taking him out of batter early in the seventh. And again, I don't mean to knock Madden. I love Madden. I wish him all the best. Good guy. So the 13-3 and star. I liked what I saw from the pitching. Um, his moves with the pitching. Craig Kimbrell was clearly bad in the beginning. He was picking up where he left off last year. He didn't mess around. He took him out of that role very quickly, quicker than a lot of managers, especially a rookie manager. So I gave him a lot of credit there. The Cubs were winning a lot of games. The offense, even then the 13-3, and three, was a lot of Hap, Hayward. I remember Kipnis having a big game. It was a lot of stuff like that where it wasn't your typical guys. Schwarber had a couple big games early on because I remember when he fell off being like, what, I, he, was, he had a two-home run game earlier. What is going, you know, just a lot of weird stuff. So after the 13-3 and start, we all know we played sub-500. We're like 14 of our next 17. Then we played about a little over 500, and then we finished at 34 and 26, eight games over. Now, whenever teams do get streaky in a season, people try to say they weren't really the 13-3 and team. Sure, I agree. They weren't. But they weren't really the 14-17 and team either. You know what they were? They were the 34-28 and team or 26 team. That's, you know, you put it all together. They were a team that, on paper, even all the top all the top blogs and experts out there across all the networks were saying, yes, we'd like the Cubs to finish near the top. I know a lot of people had the Reds, but a lot of people also had the Cubs. Fangraphs projected the Cubs. A few other 
baseball prospectus for some reason has hated the Cubs for a while now. Um, they didn't have them, I don't think, up there. But a lot of publications had the Cubs right up near the top as a playoff team. I know a lot of people were like, oh, we didn't make the playoffs in 2019, all this other kind of stuff, because they still have a lot of talent there. And even the 2019 team, Chris Bryant had an over 900 OPS. Anthony Rizzo had a monster offensive season last year. People do not look at that. He was 40% above league average. He had a very good – Wilson Contreras and Javi Baez. Um, Baez didn't have his best offensive season, but still over a four-win player. He had 29 home runs, like nearly 90 RBI. And then – on base percentage was atrocious in 2019. He was like 319, 320, but he slugged a lot. The slugging was good. That's why I love the announcement of the Cubs offense. The numbers one through five was going to be Chris Bryant leading off, Rizzo two. And everyone's like, Bryant and Rizzo, those are three and four. That's why they won two. Mm, look deeper. Those are your top two on base percentage guys, Bryant and Rizzo. Rizzo's actually ahead of Bryant, but Rizzo can't run like Bryant. And Bryant was leadoff hitter in college and he goes first to third with the best of them now you don't need a, a guy who steals 50 bases anymore there's people don't really do that a whole lot in baseball but you need a guy who could run you need a guy who could go first to third so i heard kb followed by rizzo love that Rizzo's a high contact bat say chris bryant leads off with a double if rizzo doesn't drive him in he makes good contact at least gets him over to third now you're cooking like i just kind of like that setup then you have your three four five of Baez, schwarber Contreras. That three, four, five, those were your top three guys in slugging percentage. All three of those guys had higher slugging percentages than Bryant and Rizzo. Very elite. They were all in the high 500s. That's pretty great. So right there, you got your on base and your slugging. That's how you win in baseball. Here's where the Cubs lack, though. The contact. They strike out way too much. Now, in the past, we had, like, when 2016 was going well and 2017 and we had Dexter Fowler, who isn't like a super high contact bat, but strikes out less than, you know, he's like below league average. I think it's probably like a 20% clip. And usually I think 22% is like that middle line. Anything over 22% is like you strike out, you're on the higher end, 22, 23%. Anything below 22%, you're like one of the better bats at consistently making contact. And they had Ben Zobers, who was elite elite in that. Ben Zobers was one of the few guys that some years walked more than he struck out. And so they had that balance. I remember a lot of the games in the playoffs or in the World Series, you had Dexter Fowler leading off. Schwarber two was game seven. Benning third was Chris Bryant. Rizzo four. Zobers five. Now, if you read a lot of like sabermetric stuff, like I've been reading these last decade or so, I've gotten really into this stuff. Your five hitter, you want to be a high contact bat. The Cubs haven't really, after Zobrist, Zobrist was great in 2018. 2017 had that wrist, nagging wrist thing, so he wasn't really the same player. Um, but we still had big years from a lot of guys, so the 2017 offense overall was still pretty damn good. Obviously faded against the Dodgers and the, even like the Nationals too a little bit. But you're, that's, you're, you're, you know, you're facing great pitching right there. And they always kind of had a boomer bust thing where you'd have a game where they'd score nine and then zero the next. But believe it or not, if you, or you look at a lot of offenses, that happens more than we realize. But we're just watching the Cubs every day. So we don't always, we're not always privy to that knowledge. Zobrist getting hurt. Uh, Zobrist was very good in 2018. But 2018 Cubs, again, I, I talked about that a lot in my first episode. So I don't want to really get back into it. You guys can go back and check that out. Even though this is, you know, these podcasts are dated a little bit by what I'm talking about. I'm trying to keep a lot of points that you can go back to. So listen to old episodes 
you'll get something out of them. I'm not just talking about what happened that particular day. I give you a little bit more encompassing information. I think because I think I'm talking about more a little bit more than 2020 and talking about the years going into 2020 because a lot of people like to play the blame game. And there's yeah, obviously there's blame, there's responsibility and accountability that needs to go around. But sometimes there's just things that happen that are out of your control. Weird stuff. Like I'm talking about Ben Zobris. Did anyone see the 2019 Ben Zobris, the the personal stuff that happened to him? You know, going through divorce, all that kind of stuff. He's a big family man. So he just you know, going into that year, the offense probably could have been a little bit better if you had Ben Zobris grinding out at bats. That's that kind of play is contagious. The guy in front of you has a you know nine pitch at bat fouling stuff off and draws a walk. You get to see that pitcher a lot more. It changes your approach. Now the Cubs grinded out at bats this year, but they did it foolishly in a lot of sense. They took way too many fastballs. They always seem very in between on their approach. Sometimes they'd go up there, it would be 2-0, and they would hack no matter what it was. 2-0, you rarely get a fastball. This isn't 1995. 3-1, 2-0, those were like hitters counts, fastball counts. That doesn't happen anymore. Pitchers wise up. Like, I'm not going to throw you exactly what you want anymore. Modern pitchers have confidence in their secondary pitches, their third-dairy pitch. That's not how that works. So, yeah, I mean, you're not going to get a cookie anymore. That's just So sometimes I'd see these awful swings. I'm like, did you think you were getting a fastball 3-1? Are you what are you new? How do, that's the one thing I don't understand. I don't I've never been in a major league dugout during the game. You know, and, and like baseball at any other level, I feel like they pull you aside and be like, hey, dude, stop swinging 3-0 or, or 2-0. Like you're not getting he's he's been throwing curveballs 2-0 to everybody. Think about the situation. You gotta know the situation. That's where I think the Cubs it's Look, it seems ridiculous to say we need to fire our hitting coach yet again. I think it's maybe. I actually kind of think, yeah, I know that seems insane to, to keep blaming the hitting coach. I'm not blaming the hitting coach. I'm blaming the players, but also I don't think this is a good hitting coach. Both could be true. I think the Cubs need a makeover to their offense. I think they got two more. I want two high-contact bats. Walks and power are great, but you need more contact because there's going to be times – it just makes it easier for the other pitcher to game plan for you too when you have four or five guys who are similar in style. You know, okay, high fastballs, breaking shit low and away. That's, I think, what did them in. So even though you had all these guys on paper who individually were very good, without that breakup of a Fowler and Zobris there, kind of hurts the offense. Remember, we got Dolphins got jump started with Castellanos in 19 for a stretch, and it got jump started with uh, Daniel Murphy in 2019. 2018 and Daniel Murphy's a very high contact bat too. So I think those two bats now Castellanos wasn't a high contact guy this past season, but with the Cubs, he was, I think he was talking about 18 to 20% of the time. So he was good there. What killed the Cubs in 2019. If I could go back, I've been bouncing all over the place. Everybody, I'm sorry. Is that Javi missed the last three or four weeks. And that kind of had to reshuffle the deck a little bit there. We won 84 games. We're projected we should have been on pace to win about 90. There was mistakes, bullpen stuff here or there. Yeah, I think that's what Craig Kimbrell was a panic move because the the money opened up. When Zobris went on that leave, they didn't have to pay him because it was a voluntary him being like, I'm not going to be here. I'm not hurt, but I'm just, I got to take some personal time. So it's like, all right, if you're missing three months, we're not paying you. And that opened up money for the Cubs to get Craig Kimbrell, who wasn't signed. Remember him and Keiko were holding out. That was back when, you know, baseball, um, baseball agents were like, we could hold out and get even more money. And I think going forward, you're not going to be seeing that. I think that's one thing about this off season. If, if players are getting offers that are fairish, you're going to see people signing a lot quicker. 
just because you don't know. We don't know. A lot of cities don't know how many people they're going to be able to have in the stands. It's just going to be a second wave of this fire. It's just awful. It's just awful. That's why I'm trying to avoid any kind of real COVID talk and its impact. We'll get to that. You'll read enough about that. I want to keep this fun. I feel like I haven't been as funny as I normally am in the podcast, though, because um, I really just want to kind of break down what was because I'm still bummed. You know, I was going to do a podcast right after we lost game two on uh, Friday. As we all you guys know, we didn't we didn't hit. We just didn't hit. And a lot of people were saying that final inning was a microcosm. You got the leadoff guy in scoring position. Hey, we're doubles and strikeout, 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 arguing close calls, stuff where it's like, okay, by now you figured out this. Um, were those pitches outside? Yeah, but by now it's ninth inning. He's been calling the pitch that ball four inches off the plate the whole game. Look to shoot it down the opposite, you know, aim for the right field foul pole. What can I tell you? Not to hit it out, but shoot it the opposite field. There's just stuff like that. That's why I'm kind of like, Look, a lot of great players had bad seasons across baseball. Cody Bellinger was an MVP last year. He's batting eighth for the Dodgers now. Um, I mentioned Castellanos. He had a bad year. Um, obviously, we all know KB and 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 the Cubs' big four sluggers had off seasons. Um, yeah, there's a list of really high profile guys that just had some ugly years. And I think a lot of it was just stuff where it's like it was a 60 game season. You get off to a bad two week stretch, all of a sudden you're like, damn, I really have to turn around, or this is gonna be an ugly back of my baseball card. So just weird. And also a lot of times, look, these professional athletes, when they slump, they need to go out on the town and forget about it. Baseball is like the most mental of the big four sports. The other three sports, your athleticism is always there. I mean, your shot could slump here or there in basketball and stuff, but like, you know, running backs don't go through slumps. They either hit the hole or they don't. If they don't, there's probably something wrong with them. The ankle hurts or something. Go take some steroids, get back out there. No, I'm just, you know, get a little coach Bud Kilmer in that locker room. You guys remember him? He won a lot of district titles for the for the Coyotes down there in West Texas. It's a varsity blues reference. You don't get that in other baseball podcasts, huh? Go go listen to the Fangraphs baseball podcast. Go listen to any of those other MLB ones. You're not getting varsity blues references. So please hit that subscribe button. All right. Check out my stand-up on YouTube too, by the way. All right, I'm gonna wrap this up. This is the longest one I've been. I always try to keep these around half an hour or so, but I feel like this is 2020 in retrospect. Moving along, there was some great stuff, though. I was talking about the Craig Kimbrell signing of 2019. And I did that for a reason. Now, a lot of optimistic fans were thinking, well, you know what? The fastball is still around 97. I know he used to pump it around 98, 99, so maybe it dipped a little bit here. But maybe it's he didn't have a full spring training. It was a weird, you know, maybe that's what it did him. Maybe he was trying to prove himself still. This was a guy who was elite, who did have a bad – in Boston – his last couple months there, like I think in September, he started to get real shaky with his control. And to the point where in the World Series, they weren't in the playoffs. The 2018 Red Sox won it all. By the way, they won it all with a roster, mostly constructed by Theo Epstein. They, you know, they were like, oh, we don't trust him as much anymore. So that's why Boston didn't look to retain him. I get it. Boston was also going a different direction. They fired their GM, Dombrowski, one year after winning, less than a year after winning a World Series. That's a strange thing, too. That is very strange. And maybe another offseason podcast. Sorry, guys. I'm getting excited about all the po- some people think in the offseason. You can't what, what can you talk about as a baseball fan in the offseason? Oh, there's shit to talk about. So the Cubs get Kimbrell. And I think he tried to make a big impression right away, thinking I'm an eight-time all-star, I'm a future Hall of Famer. And he is, by the way. He is a future Hall of Famer. I gotta get, I gotta, you know, I gotta show him what's up. I'm gonna show him I'm worth it. And it didn't work out. He looked bad. His control wasn't there. He wasn't hitting spots. And it's like, maybe he really just lost his control, which is strange because this was never a guy. You know, people lose zip on their pitches as they get older. Control doesn't really happen quite like that. 
mean, a little bit, but not as drastically as it happened to Kimbrell. So then 2020 rolls around. You're thinking, all right, gets a full spring training, gets full this. But no, he doesn't get really a full spring training. Spring training got cut in half, and everyone was told to go home and stay away from people. Wash your hands. You know what I mean? Don't even don't even open your own car door. Someone could have spit on that while you were inside. Don't let's not take chances. It was serious. Then they come back for this like summer camp thing that was not even a full go. And you know, this later stage in his career, I think he just needed a little bit more. He had to kick the tires a little bit more. Check under the hood. Tommy Hadovy, I think, is a fantastic pitching coach. He's a guy that you keep, keep him around long term. I think they've done a. I think he's done a wonderful job. That pitching pitch lab, that whole thing that they're doing, that new apparatus. I think that's uh, going to pay dividends. As we saw, they found a lot of cheap bullpen arms who turned out to be very valuable. So going into 2021, that's not as much of a need as we maybe have thought after the first couple of weeks. Because remember, during the 13 and three stretch, the bullpen was terrible. It was awful. They're like, we're 13 and three with this awful bullpen. Oh man, once the hitters start going, once the, the all-stars on this team start hitting the way they should, forget it. That's what we all thought. Did not work out that way. Still won that damn division though. And that is something to really hang your hat on high. That's something to be proud of. Again, I said this on the last podcast. Any playoff appearance needs to be celebrated. You go to the dance, get a chance to get laid. Getting laid, of course, is winning the World Series. Going to the dance is the playoffs. I do think if we don't make some changes to the offense, though, I think I think with this new expanded playoffs, which it sounds like it's here to stay, then the Cubs could bring the same team to 2021, make the playoffs, and the same thing will happen. You'll get a first-round exit. That's why on the, on the next podcast or maybe the next two podcasts, depending on what we hear from the Theo and Ricketts meeting coming up, I'm going to break down exactly who I like in free agency because there are some really good high-contact bets out there and where I see the fit and why it's important for – this team and where the Cubs could, because the way I see it, we have three options going into this offseason. One, you blow it up. Two, you stand pat. Three, you kind of retool, which might mess up some assets. Those are the three options. Some people think you're going to, they're just going to run it back. Cause why not? I definitely think that's a mistake and I'll get to that. I'll get to that. Anyway, let's go back to talking about Kimbrell here. He finally gets, you know, some, you know, he looked, he used him in low leverage situation. Let's get the confidence up. Let's get some one, two, three innings. How have you worked with him on some stuff? Cause it was clear to me that the fastball, he was like, his hand was tilted. They showed the arm slot from previous years when he was dominant to this year with the Cubs. And there was definitely a drag in the arm. They got him back on top of the ball. We've seen him hit 99 again, blowing a ball right by people. He had 10 outings in a row where it was two K's an outing. I mean, dominant. Just his month of September was fantastic. I feel very confident with Craig Kimbrell going into the 2021 season. That'll be his final season as a Cub. Um, and let, yeah, that's the last year of his contract. I'm not saying give him another one because he's going to be older, but I, I feel confident in him being a, uh, a top 10 closer. I definitely feel like he'll be a really good bullpen guy. I think we'll see the guy we saw from mid-August through late through the rest of September, the last six weeks of the season, really. That's really the second half of the season. I think that's the guy you'll see. In 2021, I really believe that. I definitely think they should always look to add some more high-velocity uh, arms. There were some encouraging arms. I like I like Adams. Tapera had some stuff. Um, the guy with the name that's a little dorky for my liking, Winkler. There's there's definitely some arms there. Kyle Ryan was disappointing. Maybe there's a bounce back from him. Rowan Wick was really good. Hopefully that injury is not something that carries over. Um, the other Wick was injured all year, but we liked what we saw out of the, him from the end of 2019. I'm not really all that worried about the bullpen. 
Now, other positives besides the Craig Kimbrell resurgence was Ian Happ taking the next steps. He had a couple, he had, you know, he had a rough uh, last few weeks of the season, but started to show some life again in the White Sox series and did well in the playoffs. I think he was two for four in both playoffs games. So he he, he looks like he's going to be a bona fide. If they do an all-star team for 2020, I think the Cubs have three. You Darvish, I'm going to get to in a second. Kyle Hendricks, who I've already gotten to. And Ian Happ. Awesome. Ian Happ, when they brought him up, from Des Moines in 2019, put up a two war in 160 at bats at 11 home runs. Kidding me? That's a great year. He was really awesome at that. He was NL player of the week 10 that season. That wasn't a flat carried over. I think he's here to stay at 26 years old too. It's right around the time. Like sometimes you have the hiccups with some people. I was talking about Bob Gibson hall of famer. He didn't find himself to his 25 as a pitcher. His first couple years as a pitcher, he wasn't anything special. Figured it out. Not everyone comes in the league an all-star. And that's why these fans who are clamoring for a full rebuild, I'm like, there are no guarantees with these rebuilds. You, especially if you don't have Theo Epstein running the next one. So, again, we'll get to off-season stuff. But now, let's end it on the most positive note. Oh, a shout-out to Alec Mills, who I like as a five-starter slash number six starter, meaning if someone gets hurt, he's the fill-in. I don't know if I like him as a full-time guy getting 32 starts next season. Um, showed some real glimpses. I remember having one at Barry through like 91 on the outside corner. Next pitch through a 68 mile hour curveball. He always looked his best when he wasn't going back to back with Hendricks. Hopefully they're smart enough where if he is in the rotation, they separate those two. Um, any other hitters? Jason Hayward. I mentioned him a few times. His leadership, hitting. I hope this carries over. He definitely seems like a guy who's not thinking as much up there. Uh, maybe that helps him not to think as much. Where Javi needs the in-game video to help him analyze at bats during the game. I think Hayward not having that, maybe that helped him. Maybe relax him a little bit more. He just went up there and just swung the bat, didn't overthink, which, as we all know, could very much help. You Darvish. We saw it in the second half of 2019. In the second half of 2019, I think he was the third best pitcher behind Garrett Cole and Granky or Verlander. I was really looking at him. DeGrom, of course. DeGrom, I think, was right there. But I think even second half, you Darvish was better than DeGrom. Second half, Kyle Schwarber was amazing. That's why I was so disappointed to see what happened with him. But we'll, we'll touch on what's going to happen with the core four and the offseason podcast I'm going to do about making projections on where I think uh, things are going to happen. This is more recap in 2020, and I want to end on you, Darvish. You, Darvish, I think is this should be the Cy Young. Some people look Bauer the lower year, but no. You look at you look at all encompassing stats, walks per nine, Ks per nine, um, more innings pitched. Um, what else? There was some, some of the stats that Bauer got to help his low ERA was a lower BAPIP. That's batting average on balls in play. He also had a little bit better defense around him. Inherited runners rarely came in to score. That's another thing that hurts a pitcher's ERA, right? You're cruising along. You've given up one run into the seventh. First two guys get on. Your manager takes you out. Pitcher behind you gives up a three run Homer. Those two runs were to you. So now you've given up three earned in less than seven innings. And all of a sudden, what looked like a real gem of an outing is still a quality start. That's another thing that you Darvish led the league in. So, yeah, he is the National League leader in war. I'm not always 100% whoever leads in war should get the award. More times than not, it's pretty close to accurate. And you Darvish was just, he was a stopper in so many ways. When the Cubs were, you know, four losses in a row, here comes you to stop him. 
He had a big start in the playoffs. He only gave it the two runs. Um, it was a shame the offense didn't come through with him, but but damn it, he's an ace. Really, Hendrickson ace. You got two aces. See, there's a lot there still. That's why when people say this whole the windows closed stuff, I just go, it doesn't have to be. It doesn't have to be. It's not as open as wide as it was. You know, it started 2015. It really wasn't even a window. It was like a freaking French door. It was huge. It was a garage door. That's how big it was. And then obviously some some things happen along the way that are really beyond anyone's control. And some weird stuff happened that are, is like, what the fuck happened with this guy? I don't know how you get worse when you should be entering your prime and things of that nature. But damn it, you Darvish, he's got three years left. It's a six-year contract. And you really, that's what people say. You can't judge a contract one year in. And yeah, that first year he was injured. And when he was pitching, he looked bad. But we found out the Astros were cheating against him the World Series before. And it made him think there was a problem when there wasn't a problem. It had him adjusting his mechanics and fixing all these things where it's like, no, dude, you weren't tipping pitches. They were using technology to screw you. That's what happened. And you Darvish is just a fun guy, man. He's really, once he found that out, I think it restored a lot in him. Because people were calling him mentally. People were unfair to him. A-Rod said that stupid thing. Which stupid thing? I know, so many. So yeah, it was just, but man, you Darvish, he's bad news. That guy, Cy Young, uh, he's going to get a bonus for that. So there goes more payroll problems. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. I'm not actually. There's He does get a bonus if he gets it and then. Who knows what they'll excuse they'll use for that money wise, but damn it, man, that guy was a great fun to watch. Nasty pitches. You never like just sometimes you'd invent pitches like on the fly. It would appear the way other pitchers talk about him. I think he's really turned into a leader in that clubhouse too. Just a, a YouTube channel, fun. Twitter's fun. Social media presence is just, he's a good dude. He's just, he's, he's an ace and, and it's great to see. And that's another win in the Theo column. And I hope he gets that size. So again, even though the season ended frustrating as hell, and it did. And look, I know I on Twitter I I get mad at the fans who because I do some of the fans they feel like they're haters. I see these people talking all this trash, and I get a little curious. I click on their profile and I see the last ten tweets. I'm like, did you say anything nice about the Cubs? This is your favorite team. Again, I get the frustrations, but to just call out people who have been, look, nobody, this any fan who thinks the players aren't trying hard enough or the players didn't want it, you are out of your mind. They want it. Of course they want it. The fact that not one single Cubs player got COVID is another big thing to celebrate for 2020. It shows that they were holding themselves accountable to each other. They weren't messing around. And like I alluded to earlier, I'm sure some of these guys were like, dude, I'm freaking one for my last 25. Let's go out on the town. Let's get after it. You know what I mean? Let's let's go hit some bars. Let's go to Gibson's, get some steaks. Let's go smoke a cigar on the patio. And then um, let's, you know, let's go hit some Streeterville and River North bars and make a, make a mess of it. But, you know, we got security and they'll, you know, slap cell phones out of people's hands if we get in trouble. TMZ, stay away, that type of thing. But, yeah, they, didn't, they couldn't do that. They were just, they were cooped up. But that's, they chose you something. You see, you see the Cubs in the dugout chirping? Trying to stay up, keep the energy going, because they're used to forty thousand fans. So they were. I really think that it's it's insulting. It is. I think maybe they tried too hard. If anything, your knock on the twenty twenty Cubs and the Cubs offenses of the last few years, when it came down to September and crunch time, was that they tried too hard. They couldn't stay relaxed. The old adage that Madden instilled that I loved: "Don't let the pressure exceed the pleasure." It didn't. They did. They let it exceed the, the pleasure. And um, 
And it sucks because we, I think you're going to see a shakeup. And, um, but I think it's time and it's, and the shakeup is the wise move. But again, sports are, you fall in love with the players and it's about moments and it's about these things. You know, decades from now, you're going to look back fondly. Right now, you're angry and you're mad. I think that's why I want to preach positivity because I would hate that any of you look back 20 years from now, you see your Facebook memories or who knows, maybe Twitter will do Twitter memories. And it's like, oh man. I was, I was an angry little prick when I was 29, wasn't I? Jeez. Like, that, I just don't think you want that. So, yes, the 2020 team, we got a no-hitter. We got a, a Jason Hayward hitting a three-run bomb off Josh Hader. We have a division win. The Reds, Cardinals, and Brewers looking up at us. We won the division after people were saying the window was closed after 2019. Came back. Just a lot to like. You got your ace. Darvish and Hendricks, two aces going forward. You got an, another emerging all-star caliber player and Ian Happ. You got a bullpen, a pitching infrastructure that looks like it's it's going to do some damage and really develop some arms. Edward Elzele. I still have trouble with that last name. I, I pencil him into the rotation right now. I'm that confident in what that guy's stuff could be. I really think he's going to be an elite arm. He made that adjustment and he came back and made that start where his slider was off the charts. If you go by Statcast, it was just it was unheard of how quickly this guy develops another pitch. And I think this is a guy that's like a student of pitching. He's always, if you follow him on Twitter, he's always sharing tweets from the Pitching Ninja, which is a great account to follow. Look, didn't end well, but we still got baseball. They came out, they showed up, they tried to win for us. We got a division title out of it, another playoff appearance. That's five of the last six years going to the playoffs. A lot to look forward to going forward. A lot of question marks. I know this is going to be it's going to be a very hard offseason for us. A very hard offseason, but I definitely think you got to savor the moments. And um, I, for one, want to thank the 2020 Cubs. They are uh, in a very awful year um, across the board. I mean, unless you had a baby this year, this was this was a pretty bad year, you know? Um not a whole lot to be like. I can't imagine two people. Yeah, some people might be doing well, but overall, the 2020 has just been a bad year. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna focus on the good. And I want to thank everyone for listening to the podcast. Um, I had a lot of fun talking to you guys. Uh, I'm gonna make them more interactive going forward. I'm gonna have some guests. I'm gonna get some guests on the podcast too. I might do some live episodes. We can get some comments, take those, and get some discussion going. I just I love discussions. I do. I love talking baseball my favorite thing um, without the thing of comedy being around as much as it used to be um, this has been a great outlet for me so I want to thank everyone for checking it out we're going to keep this going and only get bigger from here and as always go Cubs